Original exiles who returned from Babylon. Those who worked, resettled Israel, specifically rebuilt Jerusalem. The people on this list are named by their callings or their office, by their families, by their towns of origin. The list of names provided here in Nehemiah chapter 7 is going to sound very familiar. You heard it earlier when we read Ezra chapter 2. Finding many of these names, these ancient names, difficult to pronounce, knowing that we've heard this before, guess what? I was tempted. I was tempted to gloss over this chapter, but God saw fit. God saw fit through the work of his Holy Spirit to give us this list again. There must be a reason. So we should pay attention. So we will read his names again, or I will read his names again, or attempt to. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They were both rebuilding, busy rebuilding, that which had been destroyed by God, who had used Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument of judgment. Ezra, you remember, worked to reestablish worship, to set in motion the framework of life with weekly Sabbaths, monthly new moon uh, fests, quarterly feast observances, and the like. Nehemiah sought to rebuild Jerusalem by first rebuilding the defense walls and making sure the people lived as free men. Both Ezra and Nehemiah had to contend with external enemies that sought to stop the work and internal enemies that sought to corrupt the work. If you, like me, if, if like you, they were busy building stuff, they were busy building institutions. Likewise, we find ourselves busy building churches, ministries, drafting church constitutions and bylaws. Guess what? As we're busy with those things, those tangible things, it's easy to forget that God is focused on building people. And that, that should be our emphasis as well. In both Ezra and Nehemiah, we are given this extensive list of the names of the people. God has been focused on rebuilding these people. He's given them all different gifts, talents, and callings. And we grow and are edified as we take up those different talents and gifts and callings that God has given to us. Think back for a minute. Medieval time, you show up in a, get a picture from a European city and you see this medieval cathedral. No cranes, no heavy equipment. It was built, it took generations to build. The father may have started, the son may have continued, and the grandson may have finished the work. This is what God has called us to do, to a multi-generational activity. The engine that does this work, that drives this rebuilding effort, is faithful worship, which includes robust singing, of which will be highlighted in our text today. Before meeting these original settlers again, Let's go before our Lord and pray for wisdom. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these faithful brethren, including those who worked during Ezra and Nehemiah's time. Though they lived, Lord, more than 2,500 years ago, we thank you that we can meet them again now in this text. Let us find encouragement from them for the work that is before us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now God's word as we read Nehemiah chapter 7. 
Then it was when the wall was built that I hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother, Hananiah, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he, he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. As I said, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem one at his watch station and another in front of his house. Now, the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up first, up in the first return, and found it written in it. These are the people of the providence who came back from captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who had returned to Jerusalem and Judea, everyone to his city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamiah, Mordecai, Bishlam, Mispereth, Bigva, Nehem, and Banah. The number of the men of Israel, the sons of Parush, 2,172. The sons of Shephatah, 372. The sons of Ara, 652. The sons of Paha, Moab. The sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 854. The sons of Zakiah, 760. The sons of Binu. 648, the sons of Biba, 628, the sons of Azgad, 2,372, the sons of Adonikam, 677, the sons of Bigva, 2,077, the sons of Adin, 655, the sons of Atur of Hezekiah, 98, the sons of Hashum, 328, the sons of Bizah, 324. The sons of Haruf, 112. The sons of Gibeon, 95. The men of Bethlehem and of Netophah, 188. The sons of Anatoth, 128. The men of Beth Azmavah, 42. The men of Kerjath Jerim, Chirfirah Barath, 743. The men of Ramah and Geba, 621. The men of Michmash, 122. The men of Bethel and Ah, 123. The men of Nebo, 52. The other sons, the sons of the other Elam, 1,254. The sons of Harun, 320. The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Lod, Hadid, Ono, 721, the sons of Sina, 3,930, the priests, the sons of Jediah, the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Immer, 1,052, the sons of Pashur, 1,247, the sons of Harun, 1,017, the Levites, the sons of Jeshuam, of Kadmiel, and the sons of Hodivah, 74. The singers and the sons of Asaph, 
148, the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atur, the sons of Talman, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobah, the sons 138, the Neathinim, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hashufa, the sons of Tabaath, the sons of Karos, the sons of Sirah, the sons of Padan, the sons of Labab Labana, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Salama, the sons of Hana, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Ri'ai, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzziah, the sons of Pashia, the sons of Besea, the sons of Menuhim, the sons of Nephishim, the sons of Bak Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Hahur, the sons of Bazlith, the sons of Mehidiah, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Caesarea, the sons of Tamar, the sons of Neziha, the sons of Hatafah, the, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Zotai, the sons of Sophurath, the sons of Perida, the sons of Jahahala, the sons of Darkan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shephatah, the sons of Hatatil, the sons of Pochereth and of Zibaim, the sons of Ammon, the sons all the Nehathen, the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. All these were the ones who came up from Telmelah, Telharsha, Cherub, Adan, Immer, but they could not identify their father's house nor their lineage, whether they were of Israel. The sons of Dalahai, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nikoda, 642. And of the priests, and the sons of Habaha, the sons of Koz, the sons of Barzili, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzili the Gileite, and was called by their name. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult the Urim and Thummim. Altogether, the whole assembly was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they too, and had 245 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and donkeys 6,720. And some of the heads of the father's house gave to the work. The governors gave of the treasury 1,000 drachmas, 50 basins, 530 priestly garments. Some of the heads of the father's household gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 golden drachmas, 2,200 silver minas, and that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver minas, and 77 priestly garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Neathinim, and all Israel dwelt in the cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and I need a break. So, instead of going verse by verse, we'll take these verses in groupings just provide some highlight. 
So let's start with verses 1 through 3. The key word in these groupings of verse is the word appointed, found numerous times. Nehemiah is showing himself to be an image bearer of God. As God's agent, as God's agent, he is working to recreate the world. He's working to recreate the world of Jerusalem by setting things in order. He appoints the gatekeepers, the Levites, the singers, the rulers. They've all been called to take their station, to take up their duties and their appointed work. We are all appointed by God. We all, as well, have a station. We all have tasks to do. Like them, let's take up our tasks to unto God and let's do them well. Look to verses 4, and seven, four through 7. The city of Jerusalem was large and spacious. It was like the earth. It was like the earth that God had first created. Guess what it needed? It needed to be filled. The people needed to take up the cultural mandate and multiply. As they were told to do to fill the earth, they were now to fill Jerusalem and then spread out and fill the rest of the towns of Israel. The command was to multiply and take dominion of the earth. This was given to Adam. It was repeated to Noah after the flood waters had receded. Note of verse 6. We are reminded of the unfaithfulness from previous generations. The unfaithfulness from previous generations where wickedness abound brought another flood. It brought a flood from God as waves and after wave of Babylonian army was Armies were deployed against Jerusalem. Verse 7, Nehemiah calls out 12 men to be faithful leaders, to serve as the new foundation for the people, and to emulate them so that they can be, the nation could be built up again. 12 is a specific number. Remember, God uses the number 12 to establish order, to show forth dominion. Think about the sun. The sun rules the day with 12 hours of light. How about the moon? The moon rules the night as it, as it provides light to pierce through the 12 hours of darkness. There are essentially 12 new moons. They rule the year. So the work of rebuilding and multiplying to fill Jerusalem and Israel will take sub many generations, subsequent generations to achieve this task. God works generationally. Simply consider his ways. To those who are unfaithful, you know what scripture says? It's a warning that their children will suffer to the third and fourth generation. Nehemiah's generation is that third and fourth generation. They were suffering because of the sins of their forefathers. Those earlier generations had to tolerated false worship. They were taken into exile. This reminds us, congregation, let's take up our work in faithfulness Let's provide an inheritance. Let's provide an inheritance of blessings where those with unfaithful forefathers are cursed to the third or fourth generation. With those who are faithful, they're blessed to the thousandth generation. Look to verses 8 through 38. We're given a list, a registry of the heads of the towns of, and of families to, that initiated the work of rebuilding. To the Jews, this list would be like for us, the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Both sets of men took, a, took a, on a monumental task 
seeking the new start, seeking to please God, imagine subsequent generations could go back and trace their lineage to those that had built. They would find courage. They would remember their sacrifices and hopefully they would find inspiration of their own work to emulate their forefathers and to build in their own time. These names on this list are our fathers. There are our fathers in the faith who built in difficult times. We will have our own difficult times. And God is calling us to build and to sacrifice and to show courage like those saints on this registry. This list, this list doesn't include all 42,000 names. If it did, we might be here all day reading those names. It didn't record all those names, but it included the men who were there, who were leading. Men, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to ascribe to places of leadership. Set an example for generations to come. Rule yourself well, and with the, your wife's assistance, rule your family well. And then find yourself to rule in the city, to rule in business, to rule in church, as you've ruled well. As you rule and establish order, act righteously. And there you can reflect upon your work like God's original creation, and it will be said, this was done well. This was done beautifully. Look at another big chunk of verses. Verses 39 through 56. We have a lineage of descendants of Levi that were set apart for maintaining, or, for maintaining order and worship. This is the engine that drives any civilization that shapes culture. It's always worship. False worship will bring corruption and death, while faithful worship brings life and blessings. To bring order to these people, God set apart, catch the list, priests, Levites, scribes, singers, neothenum, and gatekeepers. In these 17 verses, we find their names. Today, there are those who minister in word, like Ezra, the scribe, in sacraments and teaching us to offer our sacrifices, including ourself, that which we confess, our sins, our confession of faith, our songs of praise, our tithes and offerings. The Neothenum were the workers behind the scenes, taking care of a thousand details associated with the house of worship. The gatekeepers, they were those who were called to guard that which was sacred, sacred from that from being corrupted. Move on to verses 57 through 60. We find the descendants of Solomon's servants. Those who had continued in their work, think of this now, for 15 generations. For 15 generations they continued in this work. As, they were, as there was order in the way we worship, there should also be order in the way in which justice is administered. Their service was needed, to create an orderly society that would bring glory to God. Have a look at verse 63, especially. There we meet the descendants of Barzilli, the Gileadite. Who's he? Where did he come from? Well, go back and look in the pages of history. While David was running from the murderous threats of his son, Absalom, David went to a faraway land, and there he met Barzilli. 
So once Abraham's rebellion was suppressed, once Absalom's rebellion was suppressed, David invites Barzillai, come on back with me. He wanted to repay the favor and he wanted to bless Barzillai. Barzillai said, I'm too old. I'm too old, but let my son go. Let my son go and let him relocate and enjoy those blessings at David's hand. Barzillai was a Gentile. And his son's descendants multiplied in Israel. 14, 15 generations later, they're still enjoying the blessings of living among God's covenant people. Barzillai's descendants had been grafted in with God's covenant people. In coming generations, God will graft in many more wild branches of these Gentile people to enjoy the covenant tree that gives life. To, those, to enjoy those blessings, Nehemiah understood that God's word had to be obeyed carefully, especially when selecting those who lead in worship. In verses 65 and 64, qualifications for those who were to lead worship was based on their birth. Fast forward to today. Fast forward to today. Those who are born again, that display the fruits of the Spirit, that have brought godly order to their family, they show themselves to be qualified to serve in these important tasks. We would do well, we would do well, like Nehemiah, not to lay hands quickly on someone to set them apart, but carefully follow the pattern and set before God, for us and God, those who have met the qualifications. Worship is paramount. Therefore, we should appoint those, only those, who meet God's qualifications. Finishing up the verses, look at verse 66 and through 72 to close out the chapter with a picture of this established order. Now that there were 42, 43,000 people that had returned to rebuild this civilization, it was humble beginnings. It was humble beginnings, remember. This was a nation that numbered more than a million people. Want to think about another humble beginning? Jesus sought to build with even less people. With even less people, 12 apostles, approximately 120 people, and yet, generation after generation after generation, that influence has continued on. What about us? 30-some people here. Humble beginnings. What can God do? We may lay the foundation and let us do so that it may last for a thousand generations to provide great blessings and may God be glorified with our humble beginnings. Notice in these last verses that the leaders, the heads of the household, are specifically, or at least some of them, are specifically known for what? For their generosity. They gave them themselves. They gave of themselves. They're pictures of Jesus. Jesus is our head. He gave all. So to those who want to lead, they will learn to give of themselves, especially to adorn his worship. This was a quick thumbnail sketch of Nehemiah 7. I'd like to spend a little bit of time on some specific applications. Some of you may have heard before. First, remember that we have our own story. And our own story is a part of his larger story. God is the author. We have our part to play. So do it well. Do your part well. 
The Jews were unfaithful for generations, and a particular generation went into exile. A particular generation was in exile, and another generation came back, and they had to start rebuilding. The wall was complete, yet Jerusalem was sparsely populated. And besides Jerusalem, there were other Jewish cities with just a spattering of people. The task of taking this possession, dominion of this land, was generational. We, too, are a part of a generational effort. We're part of a, a link in a chain. God has put us here to build. There, are, there will be a multitude of tasks that we have to do, all of us. And we're all called to take up our various stations. God has united us. God has united us together here and now, and we are called to build in unity. We will leave an inheritance to those who come after us. We'll always leave an inheritance. The question is, what kind of an inheritance will it be? Will it be one of disobedience followed by curses? Or will it be one of obedience followed by God's wonderful blessings? Ezra and Nehemiah built, and there was all manner of struggles and battles before them. But remember, the most important thing that God builds is people. God is building lineages to go on generation after generation, and this takes us to our next application. This is the second time we've seen this list. To us, they're just names. Yet God knows each of those people. He knows them, he knows their struggles, and he is pleased with them. Our names, too. Our names, too, will be recorded in a registry called the Lamb's Book of Life. God knows our struggles. He knows our efforts. He knows where we've been faithful to serve others. So, be faithful. Be faithful to build, to work. You need not tell others about what you're doing or your diligence. Just carry on. God knows. Do your work well. Serve the least of these. And remember by doing so, you will be serving our Lord. Because we have different skills, different talents, different callings, and different stations, we should rejoice. Yet there is one thing, through all these differences, there is one thing that we can all do together. Whether we're old, whether we're young, whether we're male, whether we're female, singing. Notice in verse 67, there were male and female singers. This brings us to our final application, which I'll spend some time on. There are specific people that can be elders and deacons, even mothers. There are others of us that can't take up some of those tasks. But all of us, all of us can sing or at least make a joyful noise. Regarding singing, no one is excluded. Open the book of Revelation. And what do you find? A worship service in progress. And there you will find various heavenly beings. Angels, seraphim, cherubim. What are they doing? All giving glory to God by singing. Not only do these created beings sing, God himself sings. You question that? Look to this afternoon in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says this wonderful picture of God singing over us. Every week, 
God calls us into this house. He calls us into his presence, and what do we do here? We sing. Imagine for a minute you go on vacation. You travel to a distant city. You visit a church there. You get to the church, and there's no singing in the church. There's no singing in that church. Would you think it was strange? I hope so. Would you recommend others to visit that church, that house of worship where there was no singing? Well, God's house is to be filled with singing. And to make sure of it, what has God given us? He's given us a songbook, namely the Psalms. As God is infinite and eternal, the themes go on and on and on. And what does he tell us? He tells us to write new songs. We can never say or sing enough about God. We should expect to sing new songs that will be continually written for eternity. So during Ezra and Nehemiah's time, there was much turmoil. We too face much turmoil in regular battles. Guess what we're called to do through those battles? We're called to sing, to rejoice in God's working. To sing is to be obedient and to pass on a rich blessing to the next generations. To sing at home on a daily basis is to show yourself faithful. Christians, what about your house? Is it filled with music? With people singing God's praises? Or is it a strange house that doesn't sing? So, to do this, we have to, it takes effort, it takes practice, it takes commitment. We need to teach our children, even as we teach our children to read, we need to teach them to sing. We need to teach them about music. This may require us taking up the task of paying for music lessons. There are those that are musically gifted. We praise God for them. There are others of us that make a joyful noise. We all can learn we can all improve. Sing before meals, sing before going to bed, sing to celebrate on special occasions. Teach your children to sing. Pass that inheritance on. This is a skill. This is something they will be doing, that we will be doing for eternity. Let's learn to do it now. Your singing may not be on pitch, may not be the right timing. Well, work on it. Until then, make a beautiful noise to our God and understand the power of singing. As we sing, here and now, God is uniting us. As we take up our part, whether you're a soprano, alto, tenor, bass, maybe you don't even know what part you sing, God is uniting us. He's given us different talents. He's given us different stations. But as we sing, we find our melody. We find our harmony. As we work to build families, Churches, schools, God unites us with one another. As we sing, God unites us with those who have come before us and with those who will come after us and inherit that which God has done through us. As we learn to sing, our work becomes lighter. As we learn to sing the Psalms, we have a clear view of the battles that we're fighting. Those battles are just repeated over and over again. And we take courage from the past victories. Congregation of God, make singing a priority with your family that you may rejoice and find your name written in God's registry, even as these names were. Let's pray.
Almighty Lord, your ways are truly wonderful. You call us to build your kingdom by having children, by raising them and teaching them in the nurture and admonition, and including to teach them to sing. Make us a joyful people, Lord, we pray, regardless of the struggles where we find ourselves. Fill us with your songs and psalms. And do this, Lord, we pray, for generation after generation. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.